Hi, I'm Debbie George Adams. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about the new old welfare requirement related to immigration. Came in the news. Of course, the big story of the week, Epstein's death in, in custody, uh, what justice requires. Bernie, Biden, Beto, are they baffled or bluffing? Uh, a very quick cruise to the news. And finally, I want to share with you a note I got from a listener in the country of Somalia. It'll about melt you. And again, as always, I'll tell you at the end why the stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. America Can We Talk is sponsored by GC Works, a Dallas-based company performing advanced technology research in the oil and gas industry. Hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis and welcome also to today's First Five. Well, the Trump administration announced this morning via a news conference with Ken Cuccinelli, essentially a change in our immigration policy related to whether or not people are drawing from social welfare programs and it may impact their ability to either enter America or to uh, move toward green card status. I want to quick play the quick, I believe Matt, the wonderful producer, has available a clip from Ken Cuccinelli this morning, what he had to say. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. I'm Ken Cuccinelli, um, head of the United States Citizenship and Immigration Services. And President Trump has once again delivered on his promise to the American people to enforce long-standing immigration law. Today, USCIS, the agency I head as part of the Department of Homeland Security, has issued a rule that encourages and ensures self-reliance and self-sufficiency for those seeking to come to or to stay in the United States. It will also help promote immigrant success in the United States as they seek opportunity here. You know, folks, I, I, I kept it a short clip, but it was really well done. I just want to make a few quick points in today's first five. Number one, the idea that any country in the planet would think it was irrelevant as to why people are coming to the country is ridiculous. What Cuccinelli is talking about is that America has historically actually had a consideration about people coming here. Are they coming here to join the American dream, join the economy and contribute to America? Or are they coming here to become dependent on the welfare system? A very quick story I want to share with you. Two quick stories. One is Years ago, we lived in San Diego. Uh, we had neighbors down the street who's uh, the, a couple, and their oldest daughter, a child, was the same age as our oldest. And the girls were best friends, and they, you know, played in the neighborhood as, as preschoolers. Well, these parents, who are our good friends, decided they want to move to Australia or New Zealand. They had actually both independently, before they even met, always wanted to move there. So they decided, as over the years that we were friends, they really wanted to move to Australia or New Zealand, not visit move, live there permanently. And so we talked with them over the time they were making an application to become citizens, to move and become at, le at least permanent legal residents or citizens. They eventually landed in New Zealand. But I'm telling you, it took years because the country of New Zealand, like most countries in the world, had in place their 
requirements that say you show us before you arrive, before you, we let you in, you show us that you are not coming here to just join the welfare rolls, that you have a means of providing for yourself, a means of providing for your family, that you actually have the ability to be self-reliant. The mom happened to be a school teacher, the husband had a career too. Over time, they were approved. But I'm getting at, this is a very normal, mainstream, centuries-old concept that before you let people emigrate to your country, one consideration is that you determine whether or not these people are actually meant or intending to come to, to contribute to your country versus are they coming here to jump onto your welfare rolls. This, because of the American left, per, just intense determination to encourage people to come to America with no possible means of, of taking care of, them, of themselves, people who are dependent on the welfare rolls, you end up with a situation where we are now, which is that you have some of the American left in the immigrant community arguing, this is so outrageous, this is so unfair, unfair, this is picking on immigrants. Folks, it's not picking on immigrants. It is the most reasonable, basic idea of immigration. And I want to share with you quickly, Matt, the wonderful producer, has available a, a uh, chart that was put out by the Center for Immigration Studies related to the use of the uh, immigration of welfare services by immigrants versus others. And I just want to draw a couple numbers to your attention. Number one, you can see welfare use is highest for every type of immigrant household than for native households with one exception. The non-citizen households, uh, overall welfare, 63% use the uh, non-citizen households use some form of welfare compared with 35% of native households. I'm not going to go over this whole chart, but you can plainly see the chart is showing you what the reality is, that people have become accustomed in America to coming to our country and joining the welfare rolls in significant numbers. This is not an un- you know, and, and just a bizarre decision by the Trump administration. This is a reassertion of the idea of why you have immigration. Last quick story, a dear friend of mine went to a July 4th uh, uh, ceremony where the they had new citizens to America being sworn in, taking the oath of citizenship. And she was telling me about the, um, the this one guy, they chose one person among this group to give a speech. And he gave a speech essentially saying his, his family had come to America from the country of Belarus. They were impoverished. They came to America. They had a sponsor, which was this man's uncle, who took them in in New York City. They were very poor. The dad didn't speak English. The dad had to take a, took a job delivering pizzas. The mom took a job cleaning houses. But the whole point of this guy's story was... They came to America because they wanted to be part of America. They wanted to participate in the American dream. They wanted to grow up here in a land that offers opportunity. The guy who was speaking at this citizenship ceremony was a lawyer. He came from an impoverished Belarus as a child to a lawyer in America. And his main message to the audience and to America in his big speech was, do not ever let America become socialist. One of the most important inviting things about America is the culture of self-reliance. And that relates to what President Trump did in his announcement this morning related to immigration. I'm sure we'll talk about it more. 
with the idea of reasserting America as a country rooted, and, and Cuccinelli made a, a very eloquent point this morning about this too, it's a country rooted in the concept of self-reliance. It's a beautiful, good, important thing, and no matter what you're going to hear from the left and all the people who advocate endless immigration to America, regardless of standards, regardless of desire to achieve, to dream, to be able to contribute at all, this is a very positive pro-America step. And that, my friends, is today's first five. The next one I want to turn to has is, of course, a story that is pretty much uh, consuming America's um, you know media time, and that has to do uh, with the death of Jeffrey, Ep uh, the apparent death of Jeffrey Epstein in the um, while in custody in New York City uh, and, and uh, awaiting trial for his charges that were brought against him uh, federal from federal prosecutors in New York uh, about basically paying girls as young as 14 to have sex with him in his Upper East Side home and his estate in Florida. The reason I wanted to talk about this case I always, if you watch my show all the time, you know that my show, I don't want to talk about, you know, lurid cases. I don't have any interest in the kind of, you know, um, going for headlines that, that are really, uh, that don't bear on preserving and saving America. I'm not into the sensationalist stuff. I don't ever do it. I haven't even covered Jeffrey Epstein much in the show. But this now, what has happened in New York and what America does about it, profoundly, deeply, importantly affects America's future. I'm going to tell you why I say that. Jeffrey Epstein was in custody. He had been under, and, and to back up with him, he'd been in custody uh, because he was charged criminally with his uh, with having sex with minors. In addition, he's well known um, over the many, many years in America for having a uh, access to a, a private island, um, having apparently arranged for many uh, minors, young girls to be available at the island, Many famous people having allegedly visited the island, um, had uh, illegal and appropriate relations with, with young girls. I mean, the guy was not a seller figure, and he was known for this for a long time. And many famous people apparently were caught up in, in this use of this uh, his private jet and flying down to this island and having uh, relations with young girls, uh, girls who are not of age. So he's got a lot of enemies and he's got uh, who don't want him, would not have want him to tell about their involvement in his life, his conduct. Um, and he also has a uh, a a lot of mystery surrounding him. And I want to get to that mystery for a minute when I go back to make my point about what why this matters to America. The mystery surrounding him, among many things, is this. He, he settled out in a case a few years ago, uh, similar charges in Florida. And in that case, there was a, um, a, and they recited in the settlement of that case what his net worth was. And he just said, you know, at least nine figures, uh, or more than nine figures, which puts him in the category of billionaire. But one of the many mysteries surrounding Jeffrey Epstein is where in the world did he get all of his money? Because there's no record as there would be normally for someone who made their money, whether they inherited it, whether they made it by some fabulously successful startup business, whether they made it because they, whatever reason, investment strategy, you know, whatever it is, there was never any explanation for where uh, Jeffrey Epstein got all his money. This makes, of course, people very nervous and speculating on all sorts of crazy things about him. And we don't know what was true or not. But in the Florida case in which he was, uh, he reached a settlement, the actual words by the U.S. attorney involved in arranging that settlement uh, by, um, you know, um, Acosta were the words he had been told. He explained 
that back in the day, this is back in uh, 2007, when Alexander Acosta, who was the, the labor secretary until last week and who was at the time the U.S. attorney uh, prosecuting Epstein of Florida, Acosta said he was told to lay off the case because I was told Epstein belonged to intelligence and to leave it alone. So Acosta is saying that someone told him you can't go prosecuting this guy Epstein. He's somehow related to intelligence. Didn't say American intelligence. Many speculative theories about Israeli intelligence. Maybe he was an operator from Mossad. Maybe he had some connections to American intelligence. He certainly was a man capable of blackmailing dozens of people. This is one of the concerns about him. He's very capable of blackmailing people because they had gone to Epstein Island with him. They had engaged in this ongoing, prurient, inappropriate um, involvement with young, uh, with minor girls. But the reason the story matters to you, I mean, I don't, I don't want to talk about this. I mean, I, I don't like what he did. I want justice for the girls who were his victims. And I want, though, there are pending civil lawsuits I, that he can go forward against his estate. I want them to get some kind of justice if, if that can be accomplished. And the justice, by that, by, by the way, understanding what a completely creepy guy he was, Epstein did not have young girls joining him on his jet and in, in, on his island who were, you know, the product of lovely homes and caring parents and, and good families were taking care of their kids. He preyed on the vulnerable. He preyed on people, young girls lost, struggling, uh, whether they were homeless or not, I don't know, but they were just struggling. People who were easy for him to prey on. He was truly a nasty man. But why all this story matters to America is this. He was in custody. There had been a suicide watch, which was removed. They said he's not really a suicide threat. He apparently had told many guards, I'm not suicidal. I'm worried about someone killing me. And so he made those statements as being reported. And he had, uh, after the suicide watch, the common procedure in this jail, once you're no longer in suicide watches, they put another roommate in your cell with you so that it's less likely you'll commit suicide with somebody else right there who can you know, stop you or notify people. Didn't get a roommate, didn't get, apparently no cameras were operating, which is very unusual, not good, uh, not common. So didn't have cameras operating, uh, didn't have a roommate, taken off suicide watch, and then the whole, you know, supposedly committed suicide. And the, uh, you know, the, the reason, now getting around to why I want to tell you why this matters to you in America so much. The people who stood to be harmed by him releasing the names of people who were involved in all of his nefarious, grotesque conduct is a long list of very powerful people. A lot of people would have liked to see him dead. A lot of people would have gone to a great length to see him dead. So there is an investigation now. Attorney General Barr is looking into it. He's, he's actually appointed both an investigator and said he's asked the inspector general to look into it, which means he, Barr, Attorney General Barr, is a little tiny bit worried about the FBI and how thoroughly they will look into this because he's also turning to the inspector general, who's not part of the FBI. Inspector general are freestanding, independent, inspectors. So he's having two sets of people look into it. But the reason it matters so much is this. The idea that somebody who has the ability to blackmail, to ruin the lives of many, many prominent people 
who dies under what seemed to be somewhat mysterious conditions uh, in a in a jail cell, who's apparently hung himself after telling people he didn't want to, he wasn't suicidal, he didn't want to kill himself, he was worried about being killed. These really cause, they get to the core of our trust or lack thereof in our federal government, the core of whether we trust our government to tell us the truth, compounded with where we still are with the whole, you know, Trump, Russia collusion, Mueller, you know, the actual or the term I use for that entire episode now is just it was the effort of the FBI and the Department of Justice to commit a coup to take down the the uh, candidate and then the president of the United States. He was they had tried to frame President Trump. They had set up people to try to frame President Trump. These are very serious things that went on inside the FBI and the DOJ. We still don't have those answers. We have people looking, reports are coming, and, and you know, Attorney General is looking into it, but we don't have answers yet. America's trust in the FBI and the Department of Justice was deeply, deeply shaken by the Mueller investigation, by the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, and it will be even more shaken if we don't get really clear answers about whether Epstein really committed suicide, did someone manage to kill him, get him killed in prison, make it look like suicide, who are the people whose names would be released? I know some names were put out. There are apparently more names coming out of people who were involved. Who was involved in all of this and leading to Epstein's death? And it even leads because people have so little trust in the Department of Justice and the FBI. It has led some people to argue, well, you know, maybe, maybe Epstein's not even dead. Maybe he arranged to have it appear as though he died and somebody else wheeled out and somebody's and he's off in protection somewhere or in some other way been pushed away from the uh, legal challenges he faces. I am not positing that I think that is true. I don't know, but I do know this episode does impact one of the most important aspects or elements of America, and that is the American people need to have trust in the rule of law, that there's no ruling league class above the rest of us who can just pull strings and get somebody freed or get somebody killed in prison, that people who should be held accountable for their conduct are held accountable and that we don't have a system that will cover up and hide whatever was really happening inside uh, that Manhattan uh, Correctional Center um, cell, whatever was really happening. The, this is a the mystery of Jeffrey Epstein's death. It really goes to the core of our trust in the federal government, the core of our trust in the idea of whether or not we get truth out of the government or we don't get truth because they don't want to have us know what it is. And so there is there's a real need for Attorney General Barr to step up and do the actual thorough, serious um, investigation and report to make the American people feel like they actually got a straight story. And that is it for today on Jeffrey Epstein, but I'm gonna guess, my friends, it won't be the last of Jeffrey Epstein. You know, if you listen to the show all the time, you can see this isn't my normal studio. Uh, we are on um, a trip visiting family. We have a family reunion coming up. Um, and so I'm doing the show kind of uh, remotely and uh, less than less than the usual seller professional studio. I'm so grateful to be able to use at Real News PR. So, um, but that's why it doesn't look like the normal uh, American Can We Talk show with Debbie Georges. Okay, next thing I want to turn to has to do with the um, the Democrat field for the presidency um, and some of the statements made in the last week. I have to tell you, folks, I do not. I mean, I I am clearly I'm a conservative. I, you know, I. I proudly tell you why I believe in conservatism. I believe in the rule of law and the constitution, the separation of powers, all the things I believe. 
But I also believe that whatever political party someone belongs to, and you're running for president, you need to convey a seriousness about understanding what, what America is, who America is, understanding the kinds of things America stands for. And if you are going to grotesquely deviate from the ideas of America's founding or grotesquely insult and, and uh, you know, just taint and, and defame the American people with accusations and lies, you know, you, you have to be held accountable. We need serious people running for president on both sides of the aisle. I, I, I am a supporter of President Trump. I'm supportive of his agenda, his policies. And, I, and we're going to have an election next year. So I want to talk a little bit about the 2020 Democrat presidential contenders. Let me start with Bernie Sanders. I want to show you a tweet Bernie Sanders put up. And this is a tweet he put up just a couple days ago. And this is, this is what Bernie Sanders actually, apparently, thinks America is all about. Every American, regardless of income, is entitled to the right to a decent job that pays a living wage, right to quality health care, right to a complete education, right to affordable housing, right to a clean environment, right to a secure retirement. Friends, listen to what I'm saying about this tweet. Listen to what Bernie Sanders is trying to tell you. Bernie Sanders is claiming that the role of the federal government is to make sure that every American pretty much has everything they need. And this, he doesn't even include all of his other handouts and giveaways, and uh, he's tried to you know, collapse them down, but this is a guy who is promising you communism. And I do not use that word lightly. I am a student of political science. I understand what the term means. When you promise this level of free things to Americans, you are promising when you become elected, you're somehow going to make that happen. Well, you can't make that happen in America without a radical shift of our tax system because you can't pay for all this for all the American citizens. You can't pay for it without pretty much taxing everything that people own. You can't. It's been, it's been proven. No matter how high you raise the income tax rate, you can't get all the money for what he wants to do. Bernie Sanders has to be talking about taxing net worth. Basically, the kind of tax system that says, you have money, we the government want it, send it in. This is where Bernie Sanders is headed. And this is why I say this is past socialism. This is into a communist mindset. Because when he's telling Americans, you have a right. His word is right. Not saying... I'll try to do the best I can to have the government help provide quality education as much as you want. He's saying you have a right. Well, if he's promising you that, he has to great gain control. Of, he has to have a massive tax system. He has to gain control and access to private wealth in this country. He has to transfer it to the federal government. And, you know, a funny thing happens on the way to reality, but most people who work hard and are successful are not willing to surrender their personal property to the federal government. And this is why socialism forever and always leads to communism, because people say, no, actually, I'm not going to send in all my money. I'm not going to give you all the money you're asking me for. You can't have all my money. And so the government responds by becoming more and more uh, demanding more and more uh, limiting, more and more trying to to entrap people. I mean, this is 
this is, I mean, this has been proven over and over and over and over and over. When you jack up taxes really, really high, like it happened in France when they had the socialist president come along, people move. They're not going to put up with it. But let me just put now what Bernie Sanders is promising people into the context of the 2020 presidential campaign. Because he's promising free everything, and these other leftists, almost all, not all of them, but almost all the Democrat presidential candidates, all they can do is they resort to thinking of more extreme promises of free things and giveaways and, and just utter evisceration of the sense of self-reliance upon which Americans are founded. Utter evisceration of the sense of self-reliance and instead a sense of we're going to depend, we're going to just cultivate dependency, we're going to encourage people to believe they should be dependent on government, that they're entitled to be dependent on government. So the other leftist candidates, almost all of them on the Democrat side, promise more and more and more free stuff. Which leads to what uh, happened with Joe Biden. Joe Biden is leading in the Democrat polls uh, by a significant amount. He's leading in almost every poll. Uh, and it's really because, in my view, Democrats around this country are not as crazy left as the Democrat presidential candidates are. So they're looking for, they want to vote for a Democrat. They're looking for a Democrat who still seems to have some grounding in the idea of America, that we are a country built on the self-reliance of the individual, that we don't have massive taxation, that we're not a socialist country, we don't provide free education, free health care, and free housing, and everything else that Bernie Sanders, as his ilk, want to promise. So Democrats turn to Joe Biden. Joe Biden, however, is beginning to make people a little tiny nervous, bit nervous. I want to ask my wonderful producer, Matt, to play a clip of Joe Biden in a speech he gave just a few days ago show up. I watched what happened when the kids from Parkland marched up to, and I, 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 I met with them, and then they went off to up on the hill when I was vice president, and they went off the hill to go into those neighborhoods. All those congressmen were like, no, I'm not here. I'm not here. I, I don't, don't, don't tell them I'm around. They're afraid of it. They should be exposed. They should be exposed for what they refuse to do because they're being intimidated by the NRA. And by the Okay, you have to get this. Many of you probably already saw this, but Joe Biden was telling that group of voters who clapped in response that he remembers being in the White House when the students from the Parkland shooting came up to the White House to talk about what had happened and that he, the great, the great and brave Joe Biden, marched those students over to the Capitol Hill and all the Republicans were ducking and they wouldn't talk to these students. Folks, Parkland happened in 2018. 2018. Parkland happened over two years after President, or a year and a half after Joe Biden was out of office. Parkland happened Valentine's Day in 2018. Biden left office in January 2017. And I, I want to just pause it for you because I talked about calling this segment about the, this, the Democrat presidential candidates. Are they baffled or are they, are they bluffing? It's a very much a matter of concern about Biden whether you think he's actually thinks that that happened? Does he believe that happened? That the Parkland, he, this is his actual delusional memory that the Parkland students came and talked to him and he remembers being with them and he remembers taking them over to Congress and Congress would try to ignore them. If he actually thinks that's hap that happened, he is completely delusional. He's not in touch with reality because that didn't happen because he was no longer in the White House. Again, a year and a half later, 
you know, this uh, Parkland happened a year and a half after Biden's out of office. But a second point is, so is he actually that baffled and therefore unqualified? Or is he bluffing? Does he actually think the American people are so stupid that they won't remember that he wasn't president in 2018? Does he actually just think he can just blather away and America and the media, no one will say a word about it and he'll march on? I did a check right before starting the show today to see if his campaign had come up with some explanation. He's had many, many gaffes and bluffs, but this is, I want to be clear about something. This is not a gaffe. A gaffe is like when you forget someone's name or you mispronounce someone's name or you forget that last week that happened on a Tuesday, but it was really Thursday. That's a gaffe. This is either he's completely baffled and does not, is not in touch with reality or he is so full of himself that he thinks he can tell something he knows is a lie. He knows they didn't really come up there because he wasn't president then and they didn't come and talk to him. Is he is he baffled and he thinks it's true or is he bluffing and thinks he's just so above it all that he can make up a lie and America will say, oh, that's sure, that's just great, Joe. Either way, he is unqualified as president, which leads me and, and you know, but the Democrats are in a tough slot because he's only relatively sane one up there. Last one I wanted to mention, the Democrat presidential candidates has to do with Beto O'Rourke. And I will tell you, Beto O'Rourke, if you know, I'm sure you know that name. He's a Democrat presidential candidate. He also ran for Senate from the state of Texas against uh, Ted Cruz and lost that election. And frankly, he lost that election by more than the uh, margin appeared to be. More on that later. But on Beto, so Beto was on uh, on CNN with Jake Tapper. And Jake Tapper essentially says to him, well, you're really, Beto, you're calling all of Trump's voters racist, right? And Beto says, yeah, he's calling all Trump voters racist. So, you know, Beto's like, hey, well, you know, I mean, that's pretty wild to be saying here. You know, Jake Tapper saying, well, what do you mean by that? And so Beto went through a bunch of lies. He went with the lie that launched the Biden campaign that President Trump said, that uh, white supremacists are really fine people. As you well know, because I've gone on and on about it, that is not ever anything Trump said. Trump said there are fine people on both sides of the question of whether we should remove Civil War era statues. Some say yes, some say no, they're both fine people. And Biden lied to the American people and said that Trump said that white supremacists were fine people, which he never said. He's denounced white supremacists. He, Trump, has over and over and over. But this is where Beto goes. Beto is desperate. He's polling at like zero. I mean, literally like zero. So Beto's up there polling at zero, trying desperately. He's already announced a bunch of free things, more free things. He's even more generous with other people's money than, than Bernie is. But Beto's trying to find something to, so he's going to be the one that calls every single Trump voter racist. That'd be 63 million Americans. And so he, he had that one. He also characterized, he Beto characterized, you know, because Tapper is saying, well, how can you say every Trump voter is racist? So Beto's running through these things he calls racist. The other one was, I can't get into all them, the other one was that Trump used the expression invasion at our southern border. Okay, if you've watched the videos and you've seen these caravans, Thousands of people forcing their way across the southern border, pushing their way in. I mean, an invasion, what if, if it's not an invasion, you know, what's the difference between a real invasion and having thousands of thousands of non-citizens force their way in the southern border? Beto's trying to turn that characterization 
of the invasion of the southern border. Somehow that makes Trump racist. So here's where you end up with the Democrat presidential candidates. They're either competing with Bernie Sanders, come up with more free stuff because Bernie Sanders has made wacko promises to the American people, somehow the norm, so the Dems have to go even further to the left. I mean, and I'll do free ponies for Christmas for every five-year-old girl. I mean, they're just promising the moon. Or the other way they go is trying to call America racist, the entire nation racist, the endless race baiting engaged in by almost all of them on a regular basis, trying to criticize anything, most everything Trump says and anything his supporters like, any policy he supports, all is racism. I'm telling you, folks, I think they're losing this battle. I think the American people have had just about enough of them. Okay, I got to tell you, I want to be good with my time here. I want to be sure we're out on time. Um, and I have two other things I want to hit. I, I, yeah, I called it Cruise to the News. But if you used to watch my uh, show, I was on Salem for years, Salem Radio. And I used to get to a segment called Cruise to the News. What I basically did is stories. I, it's only, when I only had a show one day a week and I wanted to run through a bunch of stories. Um, I would just hit some stories in about a one or two minute segment. Just to make the point, I wish I had more time to talk about these stories, but I don't. And so here on this August break when I'm only doing a show once a week. I want to just hit some top stories and tell you I would love to get to them uh, when we get back and back on track, which we're back, by the way, day after Labor Day, right back on track, four days a week, 3 p.m. Central Time, right here, whether you're watching on Facebook, whether you're watching on YouTube, or you're listening to any of the podcast uh, aggregators where our show is on. Uh, this show, American Kimmy Talk, will always be on Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time. And again, we're after this little break in August, we're back in September. But here's my cruise to the news stories I want to hit. Number one, we had Ed Butowski on the show just a few weeks ago. Uh, he is a Texas businessman who was told by his good friend, that she, Ellen Ratner, that she had met with Julian Assange. Assange told Ratner that the DNC hacking, the, the, the emails that... WikiLeaks released that Julian Assange released were not did not come to Julian Assange and WikiLeaks from the Russians, but instead came from someone inside the Democrat National Committee. It came from from some the Hillary Clinton campaign or the Democrat side. So Assange told Ellen Ratner that that the Russians never hacked the DNC server. That was a lie. That the emails he released came from inside the Democrat Party. Ratner tells Butowski, Butowski uh, gets all involved in the story. So Butowski is now in this, un this um, effort of suing NPR and others, suing NPR to basically try to say, because NPR ran stories about Butowski saying, mocking him and saying he lied about this whole Ellen Ratner, Julian Assange story. So Butowski was on the show a few weeks ago. He's going to be on again, I hope, in September. We're in, we're in touch, and he wants to come on again. Uh, but the news of this cruise of the news was he filed a lawsuit against NPR for defaming him. NPR tries to get thrown out, saying, you know, basically, NPR's with the, the side that says, doesn't want to hear this story, wants to squelch the story that the uh, hacking into the DNC servers came from some in the Democrat Party. So NPR is trying to say, come on, this guy Butowski is crazy. We didn't defame him. But a judge ruled, yes, as a matter of fact, Butowski's lawsuit for defamation against NPR can go forward. This is very good news for those seeking truth. Uh, next story, I would love to talk to you about this more uh, later on in the year, but there was a conference, a meeting of the Democrat Socialist 
Party of America. A bunch of millennials got together and had a conference um, in which they were discussing their agenda. And honestly, folks, it was like the video, it's an entertainment beyond belief to even see what went on there. They had a kid who got up. So these are Democrat socialists. These are snowflakes on steroids. They have their conference. They show up. They have someone on stage saying, hey, guys, could we keep the whispering down? We can't all hear. And so he's talking about he's he's triggered by this noise because he, he has uh, sensory um, overload or something. So he's complaining about, can you stop whispering? And then someone leaps up in the audience and says, hey, wait a minute. You said, guys, can't we stop this gendered language? I'm really offended by gender language. I mean, half the conference, the idiocy of this conference was people you know, out politically correcting each other, you know, shutting someone down because he said, guys, yeah, but you're whispering and I have sensory, uh, some sort of sensory disorder. Um, these are hypnotized, brainwashed, pure on crazy. And they are the product of our colleges who ha have entertained this kind of mindset that treat young people like snowflakes that require to be triggered, that trigger warnings whenever something they might disagree with is said. This was just a, a fiasco. It was entertainment for people. But I do, I tell you why it is very alarming is two reasons. One, these people vote. They are, they, they actually are serious. They think they're doing something good. And second, they vote which is bad enough. And these are the product of our college campuses. These are kids who learn this behavior. Like the biggest thing at a national conference is discuss whether or not someone said he, you know, he, and they should have said she or some other made up pronoun. That's what they think is important to talk about. And then the other alarming thing about them is when you compare their agenda to the Democrat party of today, there is basically no difference. Very little difference. Very alarming. Last cruise of the news item is that the uh, United um, Pictures, um, Universal Pictures, actually pulled the movie The Hunt. There was going to be a movie put out that was going to feature liberals shooting Trump supporters. Liberals shooting deplorables. It was called The Hunt. That was actually the storyline. You could go on vacation someplace to kill people who don't agree with you politically. And after the two shooting incidents we're all aware of in El Paso and Dayton, uh, they finally thought better of it and they've canceled the movie. But it was saying, I mean, Universal Studios canceled it. But the idea it even got, you know, airtime to consider putting out such an egregious movie. You talk about how the left is complicit, the left is responsible, the left must be held accountable for the way they stir up the American public. They were willing to put a movie out with the entire story be that they were allowed to have deplorables killed, murdered by being shot because they don't like their political views. Okay, last story of today. And I want to just tell you, this is just, to me, a heart-melting thing. The reason I, my show was on Salem for four and a half years at Salem Radio. Love them. Great network. But doing this show by podcast has greatly expanded my audience, greatly expanded in many, many ways. We have just great numbers. But what really touches my heart is that people around the world see this. People around the world are aware of the, um, of, of what we're talking about in this show, what, what is going on. And so I've talked, I had a show, I think it was like the middle of July, and I contrasted the statements by Ilhan Omar, the Democrat representative uh, in U.S. Congress, Muslim from Minnesota, who regularly attacks America, regularly 
you know, it is extremely anti-Semitic, always attacking the Jewish people, attacking Israel, just anti-Semitic, hateful, regularly depicts America as a terrible place. And she is a refugee who came here from Somalia, was allowed to come here and become a citizen in America. That's Ilhan Omar. And I contrasted her with Ayan Hirsi Ali, who is a former Muslim, also from Somalia, came to America, just outspoken writer exposing the dangers of Islam, the threat of Islam, especially to women, exposing the just just the the, the, con, the thinking inside Islam that is so demeaning and terrible to women. So here, my friends, is a comment I got on YouTube, and I, I just love that my show reaches around the world. I'm going to read you this person's comment. I am 25 years old. I live in Somalia, and I finished university in 2017. I don't want to tell my name because I'm afraid. Islam is not a religion. There is a lot of hate in this religion. What she says, this journalist is right because Islam is not a religion and I want to leave this religion, but I'm afraid my family will kill me. Ayan Hirsi Ali is right. Ilhan Omar is a liar. I actually messaged this woman. I would love to be in touch. I assume it's a woman. would love to be in touch with her. But this kind of thing, it melts my heart. The idea of what we're doing on the show, this speaking up for the ideas of America, the greatness, the, the, and exposing the danger of someone like Ilhan Omar actually holding a seat in the U.S. Congress. I love that my show reached someone in Somalia. I love that she wrote that. I hope to be in touch with this person. And I'll tell you, I, I don't, that's the first time I've ever read a note from a reader on this show. I get lots of emails. You can email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com. I get a lot of emails from people. I get messages all over the Facebook page and inside Facebook and on, on YouTube comments. And I, I can't begin to catch up with all of them. I've got several though, for people in for example, Venezuela saying, keep speaking the truth about socialism. Don't go there, America. Socialism is terrible. My country's been ruined by it. Please, 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 you know, uh, keep sp uh, speaking the truth. You're right. Socialism is horrible. I get comments from just places all over the world. People in the UK talking about the Islamization of London and what's happened there. People in France talk. I mean, I get these great messages and it's really heartening because at the end of the day, the point of my show is to speak up for what is actually true and, and what is true really everywhere, which is socialism makes people misery miserable. It creates misery. And with respect to Islam, it has caused so much pain and harm in people's lives. And there is a danger of Islamization in America. It's already happening here a little bit. It's happening all over Western Europe and in England. And I'm grateful to be able to have this, this show to be able to speak to you and speak to people around the world. And that, my friends, is my show, America Can We Talk, for today. I always, at the end of every show, turn to showing you what I think about why I choose the stories I do, because they relate to really why these stories matter to you. For today, the new old welfare immigration rules. President Trump is doubling down on common sense immigration policy. Immigration policy was historically grounded in a basic merit-based proposition. Immigrants are welcome when they want to become Americans, meaning assimilate, and they aim to be self-sufficient, to contribute to our country. The leftist mindset has tried to morph immigration into the idea that poverty is a reason to accept immigrants. So they encourage the poorest to immigrate almost as a matter of entitlement. Trump gets all of this at an instinctive level and Americans agree with him.
Uh, next one, the uh, was Epstein's death and what justice requires. The ongoing lack of accountability from Mueller and the coup plotters has all but destroyed Americans' trust in the Department of Justice and the FBI. Epstein's apparent death while in D DOJ, which is runs the Bureau of Prisons, has further harmed America's trust level in their own government. Epstein's death is drawing suspicion from both sides, and everyone deserves a full accounting of what happened, how, and why. Attorney General Barr had better act soon, act transparently, and act decisively. On Bernie, Biden, and Beto, are they baffled or bluffing? I'm telling you, folks, Bernie has gone full communist. It would be great if his fellow Democrats would point this out. Biden doesn't even know when he was vice president. I'll just leave it at that. Beto essentially called 63 million Trump voters racist. The Democrats are completely detached from America. They are desperate, they are delusional, and their only reaction is to promise more freebies and make more racist accusations. No grown-ups are on stage in the Democrat presidential candidate lineup, and this is a matter of concern. On the issue of cruise through the news, I just love doing that. There were many other stories. I had to pull out my favorite, but Hollywood canceling the hunt, they should have never considered making this film. Ed Butowski's lawsuit moving forward, it's a great thing because it's going to force answers about what happened, where, where the DNC got their, um, who hacked in the DNC, who gave the information to WikiLeaks. The Democrat Socialist Conference, this is a snowflake future of America. And I got to tell you, folks, these are voters. These are these are people who are involved enough in politics to show up at a conference. The FBI says conspiracy theorists. Oh, I didn't even get to that story. The FBI said recently announced a new policy. They consider conspiracy theorists as Democrat. Uh, excuse me, as domestic terrorist threats. So the FBI is saying if you believe conspiracy theories, you might be a domestic terror threat. And these are the people that they want to have take away your guns. You got to think about how bad it is the FBI is saying that. And there's, of course, more talk about gun control after the two recent events. We'll do a big show on gun control right after I'm back in Dallas um, after our, this trip, um, this vacation. And that Somali listener speaking, voices of protest from within Islam are rising around the globe. They're courageous. They need to be heard. The truth and facts are knowable about Islam. The texts and teachings are not secrets. Speaking truth, this person who's put that message out there, afraid of her own family, if she acknowledges in, in the country of Somalia, she doesn't want to be a Muslim. Speaking truth has a rallying, helpful, transformative effect. She wasn't afraid to, and you shouldn't be either. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. I thank you for listening. I encourage you to come in again. We're one more show during August. I'm just doing three Monday shows, August 5th, 12th, and 19th. One week from today, one last show for August, and then right back on my regular schedule four days a week, starting the day after Labor Day. And I thank you so very much for tuning in to America Can We Talk, for listening to the show. I love, I obviously, I miss talking to, I kind of miss having the four-day-a-week thing, but I am enjoying vacation too. Can't wait to be back. And I also encourage you to think about the reason I do this show. I think the reason you listen is because you know America is an extraordinary, precious, unique gift, experiment in human liberty. It's a blessing to this earth, and it needs to be preserved. America matters. Talk to you next time.
talk truth about America. Can you-